Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast. It's great to have you with us today and we hope that as you listen, you'll be inspired as we continue on our shared quest together. This podcast is entirely free and yet it's not cheap to put together and wouldn't be possible without the generosity of our supporters. So if you consider yourself a supporter of Q, then please head to qyork.co.uk and hit donate to show your support today because there really is no Q without you. Thank you and enjoy today's message. So we'll get we'll get to talk a little bit about Ross's sound in a minute. Sounds a funny thing, isn't it? What's interesting is Phoebe got it. But then people would say Phoebe's a bit weird, that's why she got it. But we'll talk about that in a bit. Anyway, it's good to see you. Thanks for being here today. Blessings to everybody who's out and about and hither and thither and uh, and listening. I appreciate that what we do on a Sunday doesn't translate as easily um, when it goes out online as just a specific message, but I hope you guys catch um, what we're talking about today with the uh, with the little videos that we we choose to use. So, our sound. I also want to talk a little bit about um, the guys sung the song Bridge Across the Great Divide because, um, you know, in at home with the Chapmans uh, this week, I'd go up and said to Chris, I got this song in my head, I got this thing in my head and it's songs we can't sing anymore. Now, some of you may not realize it, but there's a whole bunch of good songs out there musically that we can't sing anymore. Um, you say, well, well, I could sing them. Well, you know, yeah, we could sing them. Uh, but whether they actually reflect where we have come in our belief is a totally different matter altogether. And so, unfortunately, we have a very small pool now of uh, materials from outside. And that was one of them. And uh, I said, that's a song I couldn't sing anymore. But Chris said, well, we could sing it uh, if we understand what we mean by the cross to bridge the great divide through a different lens. Uh, and we do. And so that, that's part of what I want to talk about today is is our sound and the bridge that crosses the divide. See, what, what is our sound may be a very important question. But a much more important question is, why our sound? Because if we don't understand why our sound, the truth is, what our sound is will simply be a manufactured essence that we bring just in, I suppose just really for the purpose of doing what we do. So I'm more interested if, as Q was the why of our sound. And um, uh, next Sunday will be exactly 30 years since I took on the senior leadership of, of Q, which was Rock, which was Assemblies of God in the first year. Um, and so it's important for us, I think, to understand as we kind of bring a close on those three decades into next week, um, of where we've come from and where that's now brought us to because that has an impact now not just on what our sound is because I think many of you will agree our sound has changed uh, but some of you may not yet have truly understand why that sound has changed. Um, now the present consideration of that over the last few weeks made me Ask Kev Craven, bless Kev, back on the drums today. Nice to see Kev back on the drums. Uh, to come with another version, an evolved version of our logo that reflects how we see things now. 
Uh, and so this, this is what I asked Kev to produce, and this is, this is what we've now come up with as a, our prototype for development. Now, if some of you think it was stolen from a Tempe coin, well, you'll just have to think that. But when I saw this, it triggered something in me because, you see, before our queue was just a queue and that queue was just really making a statement about what we were trying to achieve in the context of quest and question. But this far better reflects where we have come to now, two and a half years on, of living with queue, of seeing ourselves as actually that queue is a bridge. And it's a bridge for people to cross the divide. And so I want to talk a little bit about that um, today. I like also the fact that you've got uh, the, the interesting fact of a leader out front, but then you've also got the connection of family uh, and, and community coming in behind. And that's our desire for the next season of Q, that now we've established what we are, that we can come more to a sense of who we are and because we can grasp why we are. So... Some of this I've got to read to you, and I hate reading stuff out because I don't like it, and I try and make it sound as though I'm not reading it, but if it sounds as though I am reading it, it's because a lot of it I am. <laughs> so, so not only do I want to talk to you about the sound this morning, but, but also the reality and necessity and true understanding of the need for a bridge to cross a great divide. Now, I've used the word a great divide rather than the great divide because many of you, like me, were raised if you were in church, with the idea that the great divide was the one between God and man. And so sin was the great chasm between, and God was on one side separated from us, and we, man, were on the other side, and we needed the cross to create a bridge, uh, which suggested that somehow God was separate from us, and we were separate from God. Now, for too long, I brushed aside and never questioned the image of God that I was given. And for most of us, that is the case. You see, humanity, basically, when you study the psychology of humanity, uh, leaders and followers, you find several categories. You find a very small percentage, about 2.5%, are what's called innovators. They're just out there. You know, they're the ones who get eaten by the bear because nobody was with them when the bear turned up to protect them from the bear that they were looking for, but they didn't wait for the crowd. So 2.5% of those people are always, you know, 25 steps ahead of where everybody else is. Are you thinking, what the heck? And then you have another, another proportion in there uh, who are called early adopters. And they form about 7.5%, uh, uh, I believe it is, of those who grab what's happening very early and are able to run with it. Now, the reason I mention this is because then there are two more sections, each one of those has 30, I think it's 30, 34%. And the first one is what's called the early majority, and the next one is called the late majority. So that means that 68% of all of you and all of people out there are in that category of middle and late adopters. Most are not innovators. Most are not early adopters. So it takes a while to catch what it is that's going on and why it's going on. Now, the reason I mentioned that is because, um, because most of us are middle adopters, we will accept the image of anything that we are given by others because we see everybody else doing it as well. 
And because that's the greater proportion of people, the reason we do it is, well, I'm doing it because he's doing it. Or because they said we should do it. So, so I'm bringing this in to say that I realize that I'm in that upfront category. But for too long, I was working with the mindset of a middle adopter. Brushing aside and never questioning the image of God that I was given. I never questioned what I was told were the desires, intentions, and plan of that being. I never considered the image I was being exposed to seemed to behave more like a volatile human with great power than a divine essence of unconditional love. I never questioned the content or the meaning I was given of the book we know as the Bible. I believed that doubt was a destroyer and was taught to defend a dogma rather than engage a conversation. Now, standing back, if you'd given me that information now without the influences exerted before, which I readily accepted as both terrifying and exhilarating, it was terrifying that this God could squish you like a bug if you crossed him, but exhilarating to think that if you found his favor, he would save you. And so we were chasing that favor and that salvation, but it was like a mixture of, 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 of being terrified and being exhilarated. I would have probably drawn a different conclusion had I been given that information now. I would have been more of the persuasion that the whole show was being run by a genocidal maniac Obsessed with a single tribe, a single nation, apparently commanding and authorizing acts of atrocity, ethnic cleansing, and land grab in his name, punishing his enemies, ruthless towards those who broke the rules imposed, legitimizing murder on the grounds of upholding standards. Then in our non-Jewish scriptures, because remember this is not in the old Hebrew scriptures, in our non-Jewish scriptures that we know as the New Testament, Along comes Jesus, claiming to be the Son of God, which I believe he is, telling us the very essence of the being of his Father is love. Love your enemies, forgive them, don't hold things against them. Seventy times seven becomes the measure of grace. You know when he says forgive seventy times seven, which in Jewish parlance means an innumerable number of times. Include the outcast, live as one, treat women, foreigners and slaves the same as yourself. Count them part of you. Don't look for tribal domination. Love God. Fight and resist religious authoritarianism. Lay down your life as opposed to taking life. Live for the kingdom within rather than striving for a kingdom without. Give without looking for something in return. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Let go the distortions of the God you think you know and live like sons of a father I say you have. Then when you strip away everything that's just stuff, as Paul says, the apostle, only three things remain. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest is love. Now this all supposedly hung together without contradiction. That's what I felt for years. But I now fully understand why atheists have posed the question from our presentation that nails the problem. Did God sacrifice himself to himself to save us from himself because of a rule he made himself. Now, I personally do not believe that version of the God story to be the case. 
But I believe we misrepresented and mispresented and in some cases invented the story because of the lie of separation and the promotion of something called the doctrine of original sin, which means you're all scum without personal choice, without thinking about it, and you're nothing better than that, and that's why you need Jesus. We led people to believe that they were separated from God rather than simply being separated from our true identity. That one aspect alone closed our ears to a sound. The bridge we're in the process of building through Q is not one based on the lie of separation or its invented perpetrator, original sin, but on the truth of a God who cannot so easily be defined. One who is not a noun to be described, but a verb to be lived. And one about who the Apostle Paul said, acknowledging we were made in the image and likeness of God, a God who cannot deny himself, so he cannot deny you. One who, because of this, cannot treat us in any way that is detrimental to himself. That's good news, isn't it? Because here's how Paul wrote it to his disciple Timothy. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. We're building a bridge, not a wall. We're not building a temple. We are the temple. The original idea of temple was the place where heaven and earth come together. The original idea of temple was a bridge, not a building. We are that bridge. And we'll say something about the significance of the sound and the establishing of the bridge in our next segment. So the clip we watch, we've got another one to come um, before my next talk. He's from a little movie called Horton, Here's the Who, which is a fab little movie. You can tell that we spent the last 10 years basically as grandparents raising a child from the, all the videos that we're able to access and the stories. But these are absolutely fabulous little parables. And um, when Horton's there, Horton is the, the elephant, and the little flower he has that looks like a dandelion, he talks about the speck. The speck is actually a, a tiny planet. So just like you'd have a tiny planet in space, of course, he's gone the other way. So from space to us is different, but from Horton, the elephant, down to, down to the, where the, the who's are, it's it, the speck. It's called the speck is a tiny planet. So, I mean, you can see the, you know, the imagery of if you look from space at the earth and then you think about us on the earth, we're a bit like the creatures that are on the speck that Horton's talking about, which makes, it makes the essence of, of the God thing even greater and more wonderful in the context of the value on our lives. But this speck is, is home to a community and it's called Whoville. And it's where the who's live. And I like that because one of the words that's used in the old King James in the Bible about people is whosoever. It's really saying about on the speck, you've got to connect with the who's who live in Whoville, who often can't be heard. And the point is that really here we're bringing together two ideas that they need to hear a sound that will bring them to the bridge that crosses the divide that allows the connection of life with all things. So as we approach this 30 years in senior leadership that I, I mentioned earlier, uh, position in, in, in the church here, 
Um, I identify so much with Horton's story in Horton Hears the Who. Uh, I think you could readily change Horton to Chapman. See, there's a sound that people couldn't hear that Horton could hear, and he needed to act upon that sound before they could hear the sound in the hope that they would hear the sound. And that's been the story of my life for the last several years. It's been the frustration of my life. Uh, and if you, if you watch Orton, you see the frustrations because he can hear the who. He knows that the who are there. But he can't get the people to hear the who so that the transition could be made to link these two things together in the life that's supposed to come. And, and the reason he has a problem is because in Horton's community, it raised the serious question around what's true. But, but not just that, because we all like to think we're so pure that we're interested in what's true. But we actually have an appendum to that, which is, and how will this affect my way of life? Right? How will this affect our way of life? So I know when you begin in a church environment even to begin to challenge some of the things we've challenged and bring a different sound about the love of God and the presence of God and the essence of God, there are some people who are asking the question not just about whether this is true, but how does this affect my way of life? How does this affect my experience of church? How does this affect what I like and what I dislike? So it becomes about whether we've become static and stuck rather than progressive and dynamic. It was a strike at the very core of jungle belief because that's where Horton lived. And I have to say, what tends to happen is we develop jungle belief. I have been long enough, particularly I speak about my own environment, my people in the church, I have lived in jungle belief. We were the jungle, and, and some of it was as aggressive as jungle life. Talk about dog-eat-dog, dog and lion-eat-wildebeest, and don't even get me started on hyenas, vile things. But you see, I love the way these writers draw all those analogies in to say, look, if you'll just look at life properly, you can see this is a parable. This is a parable. So it was a strike at the very core of jungle Belief, the existence of something more than their current experience would allow. The possibility that they didn't know it all. That there was something or someone out there with a whole world of different experiences. That's what we're trying to draw you towards. And it all kicked off when Horton tells them about the worlds beyond the jungle. When you start talking about worlds beyond what has been our established understanding of what we think the kingdom of God is and who, think we, who we think that God is, then things kick off. And that can be summarized in one reactive word, threat. We don't handle threat well because we think threat is always a negative contrary word when actually some of who we are and what we think needs to come under threat but it's not coming under threat of aggression it's coming under threat of truth so he's challenged that by telling the children about worlds beyond the jungle he makes them question authority which leads to defiance which leads to anarchy I'm familiar with those uh, accusations by the way 
And here's some of the things that raised up from the dialogue there. If you can't see it, hear it, or feel it, I say it doesn't exist. In other words, if I haven't caught what it is you're talking about now, it obviously and definitely doesn't exist because I know so much and I'm so clever and so insightful that I would be able to tell. Horton, Horton, Horton. Look at the mess you've created for yourself. <laughs> I've had that one. Uh, you, admit that you, you admit that you were wrong and I'm right. You do that and things can go right back to the way they were. I can't tell you how tempting it's been for me watching the impact of the journey we've gone to say, okay, I'm wrong and you're right and we'll let things go back to the way they were. And we could have done that and it would have been easy, but I'm not going to. But if you don't, you're going to have to pay the price. That's the scary bit. So I just have to say it isn't true, Horton says. That's all I need to say. It isn't true. And then he pauses for thought. And then his answer is, go ahead then. Rope me. Cage me. Do whatever you want. But there are people on this speck. And they have a mayor who has 96 daughters and one son named Jojo. Who all share a bathroom, whatever that is. Exactly how I've felt. But I do know what a bathroom is. And here's what they said to him. This will teach you to never make up stories about people on spec. Some people think we're making up stories about the gospel. Like they thought he was making up stories about specs. But the truth is once you've heard the sound. Cage me. Rope me. Do whatever you need to do. But I've heard the sound. And I can't go back to what it was. He hears the sound, but he's not believed. They think he's lying. They can't hear. And the truth is, that's the Jesus story. So some people think we're pulling away from the Jesus story, but that is the Jesus story. They thought he was lying. They thought he wasn't who he said he was. They couldn't hear. Interesting then, that the, I have experiences. I've had them throughout my life of insightful experiences, all kinds of crazy things I could keep here for hours with. But very often something will just go pop in my head. And as I was thinking about this particular point, all that popped into my head was Matthew 13. And it's fascinating when you look at Matthew 13 because the whole point of Matthew 13 is the explanation that Jesus used parable, not scripture, to talk to people. He used stories. He used what would have been movies. He talked about the Hortons and the Who's. But in their language, it wasn't that. It was farmers and fields and grain and fish and fishermen and fishing and dough and yeast. And some of you think that's different. Oh, that must be holy because that's what Jesus did. He was using the same thing that we're using now to say, look, can I use this to try and get you to hear the sound? So here's how Matthew wrote it. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And why do you use videos? Why don't you have a long chapter of Bible to read every week? Jesus said, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. That's what church can be. For this people's heart has become calloused, stuck, 
rigid. They hardly hear with their ears. This is the jungle. And they have closed their eyes. And this is a powerful statement. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Or in other words, that threat would cause them to come to a point where they knew they would have to change. The threat from hearing to their the, the, the threat from hearing to their pre-established norms and beliefs was too great. And it is for some. So he goes on to say, and they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, only in his own town and in his own house is a prophet without honor. There's a, a word of wisdom. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Maybe we're missing a miracle because we won't hear the sound or cross the bridge. How many of you know it's wonderful when you suddenly hear it? I love what happens there in the movie when, uh, when the kangaroo heads up the jungle and the little kangaroo, the Joey Rudy, suddenly gets it when he says, I hear it. Uh, and that's the experience that you have when you do suddenly hear it, when you do suddenly get it. And... Um, you know, people online who've been listening to us, one thing they love about uh, our messages are the titles. So I was definitely going to call this one One Extra Yarp. So let me just run you through a couple of things to, to tie this together. Um, I believe that there are three things necessary to recognize the sound and cross over to its promise. And these are the three things, consciousness, movement, and evolution. Because without consciousness, there is no movement. And without movement, there is no evolution. Now, the problem is that we, I, I'll talk about me, was taught for many years that these were, these were bad words. You know, we camped in the presence of the Lord. We camped in the land where God had brought us. You know, we didn't talk about consciousness. That's this weird new agey thing that was all a bit too strange for us. And as far as evolution, you could get yourself shot for using that word. But you see, from the moment that we were convinced of the lie of separation, and let me tell you, it is a lie. If we had time, I could show you from Genesis, it's a lie. Man was not separated from God. When Adam did what he did and made the choices he made, God didn't go anywhere. God was still with Adam. God was still talking to Adam. God was still dealing with humanity. And the truth is, the origins of humanity is not original sin. It's original blessing. God blessed them. And God has never pulled himself away from his heart towards people, which is one of blessing and not judgment. So for many people who came up with these ideas, the problem is they decided the Bible starts in Genesis chapter 3, which is where Adam and Eve eat, Adam and Eve eat fruit from the tree. And that's where they got their idea of what they call original sin and separation. But you see, it's not it's not rocket science to figure the Bible begins in Genesis chapter 1, not Genesis chapter 3. That Genesis 1 precedes chapter 3. Now chapter 3 might be a problem, but Genesis 1 is a bigger answer than the problem, which is God blessed them. And he gave his word, and when creation heard the word, or, or when space and nothingness heard the word, something happened, and it's never changed. 
From the moment we were convinced of the lie of separation, that we were separated from God by our sin, rather than separated from our true identity by bad choices. That's the only separation you are experiencing. You are separated from a full experience of God through bad choices. And those bad choices are not that you chose to drink too much or become a druggie or not attend church. Those bad choices are you refuse to allow the divine to be who the divine is and you refuse to allow yourself to be who the divine says that you are. That's the real problem. So we replace consciousness with conscience. This is what church does. We replace consciousness with conscience. We didn't like consciousness. That was way too open. So we replace that with conscience. And so all I ever heard was let your conscience be your guide. You know what the, you know what the, the application of every Sunday school story I was ever told was? Be sure your sins will find you out. That's the thing I learned in Sunday school. Be sure your sins will find you out. I was, I was terrorized as a kid. Why? Because we replace consciousness, which is that inner sensitivity and openness to a presence with conscience. And that roots us in fear. We replace movement with banishment which is where separation comes in, and that roots us in separation. We replaced evolution with degeneration, so we could not believe that even from a mistake that we were evolving into something amazing and something wonderful, that we were going from good, man, what was the last one? Yeah, from good, man, grow. Instead of perfect man fall, we'd move to good man grow. We were growing from all of this. We replaced evolution with degeneration. So we called people degenerates. I've been called a degenerate. And that roots us in unworthiness. So this is where we finished up. We replaced consciousness with conscience that roots us in fear. We replaced movement with banishment that roots us in separation. And we replaced evolution with degeneration that roots us in unworthiness. And enlightenment became a dirty word along with consciousness and evolution. But consciousness is about an awakened heart. Movement is about momentum. Evolution is about adaptation and development. And those are the three things that allow us to hear the sound and move across the bridge. Now, I need to throw this little side issue in and come back. The deepest longing for humanity, which affects all of us at some point in life, is the need for meaning. It manifests like this. Why is this happening to me? That's your inner being crying out for meaning. See, it moves from the question of what's happening to me to why is this happening to me? That's the inner cry that we all have, our deepest longing for meaning. Meaning is our deepest longing. The great and ultimate human question when all is stripped away is who am I? That's what all of you are asking. Who am I? It's the source for the true flow of our existence is the answer to that question. Who am I? That's where I find it interesting. We're dealing with Whoville. Who am I? And then you've got what I'd have to deal very briefly with, what I call the paradoxical mystery of the I am. When in the Hebrew story they wrote about God revealing himself to Moses in a burning bush, and Moses asked this this expression of God. Remember, the bush wasn't God. That was just a way of them saying this is, he got his attention, 
right? We all have our burning bushes. Burning bushes are the thing that get your attention. And he talked to the bush, right? Well, it, all he was doing is having a conversation with the thing that had got his attention. And he said, okay, so you've said to me, go and tell Pharaoh he's got to let the children of Israel go. Who, who do I tell them has sent me? And this was the answer, I am. Well, that's not really a name, is it? That's, that's a description of an essence, of a, of, of, of a being, of, of a force, of an energy. I am, of a presence. And when we become separated from God, and what we became when we became separated from, from is... Sorry, let me read that again. What we became separated from is not God. What we became separated from is our true identity and we lost the ability to say, I am, and replaced it with, who am I? Who am I is the inversion of I am. And when you hear the sound and cross the bridge, that changes from who am I to I am. So isn't it fascinating that the major message of Jesus when it got personal to people was, I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the light of the world. He was showing his oneness with the essence of who God was, the same God who got Moses' attention all those years ago, and it's the same thing for you. Now, Horton's pleading for the people on the speck. And he's pleading for the people on the speck because of this inversion, this revelation of the I am and the existence. He's pleading, be louder. Be louder, more noise. We've got to make some noise. We are here, we are here, we are here. Now let me tell you, the greatest weakness of the journey that we are on is the silence and the unwillingness for us to shout to this city, we are here, we are here, we are here. Now it's not going to appeal to the religious community but what it will appeal to is those who can't hear, who need to hear, because these two worlds need to come together, who are living in the jungle, but now the jungle needs to meet the speck, and the who's need to become one with them so that we all know who I am. But the deal is on there, he says, you've got to be, because he said, why do we have to do it? Because their ears are not strong enough, so we need to be louder. So I'm saying to you, after these 29 years and 51 Weeks as we move into 30 years and, and whatever the next decade will hold. We have to be louder. We need to be louder. And what swung it was one extra yarp. Jojo gets on there with his little thing and he gives out a big yarp. And that yarp, on top of everything else, suddenly breaks the clouds of oppression. And suddenly, those in another world begin to hear a sound that they couldn't hear before. And when they hear that sound, it changed everything. And the sound became the bridge between the jungle and the who's. But then, of course, you've got the other little challenge that comes. Rudy's mother, the kangaroo, feels threatened by the fact that Rudy now hears the sound. And so she tells him, get back in the pouch now. And she does what mostly religion will do when you've come on a new journey of consciousness, movement, and evolution. It will tell you, get back in the pouch. It will treat you like a child. Get back in the pouch now. But I love it. Rudy might only be young in this, but he says, no, mum. No. no. See, Horton was the bridge for the divide. 
to those in the jungle and those the sound and, and, and the, the sound of the who who the creatures in the jungle didn't even know existed and they became their bridge between their worlds which was actually only the same world but they were not conscious of the reality of the connectedness that existed without hearing the sound that brought it all together so let me say this in closing we are a bridge for the unseen and the unheard but who will be that one extra yarp that triggers the breakthrough? As I come to the end of 30 long years as a senior leader to this house, I pray that the next 30 will be driven by consciousness, movement, and evolution, and that the sound will go out stronger than ever. We are here, we are here, we are here, so that there can be a bridge between the jungle and the who. Let it be you. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel? Just go to youtube.com forward slash Q Church York. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest.